Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be here in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number one. And uh, we've been working through this passage here, and uh, we've seen Jesus as the exalted one, as uh, what uh, Scripture's been uh, revealing uh, who he is. Uh, We saw Jesus as the uh, image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He made all things. By him, all things consist. He's the head of the church. Uh, Even last week, as we talked a little bit about uh, Jesus being that he is the firstborn of the dead. Um, This Jesus that uh, Paul talks about and exalts here, this was Jesus whom the fullness of God dwelt. Uh, He was crucified, and he was buried and resurrected from the grave. Um, And as we saw last week, that he was never going to die ever again. Uh, We talked a little bit about that. And uh, we spent probably about a good three weeks uh, working through this passage here. And really, it is so rich in its Christ theology of who Christ is. And it's good to always get a really good picture of who God is, who Jesus is, how Scripture reveals um, who He is. Because as I always say, your theology will affect your philosophy. So what you believe that is true about God will affect your philosophy and how you live out your life. And so if you got a really weak picture of who God is, you're going to have a really weak philosophy of life. But if you have an exalted view of God, who He is, if you see Him as just as Scripture says that He is, then your life will match that. And you will live that out because you want to exalt Jesus uh, in your life as well. And, you know, there should really be no question at all of who Jesus is, especially as we spent our time uh, through this passage. And uh, really, I want you to see, we, we spent all this time dealing in the theology of that. Now you're going to see how Paul is going to take all of that stuff and he's going to say, okay, now that you got a clear picture of who Jesus is, I want you to live this out. And I'm going to show you how you need to live this out. And uh, if you can remember, in this church, um, this church was really dealing with a lot of uh, false teaching that was going on. There were people that were insisting that uh, Jesus wasn't who he said that he was, that maybe he really didn't have a physical body. And I think really that's where you see Paul kind of emphasize that in his flesh or in his body. Uh, There were people that were worshiping angels, insisting that you should worship angels. Uh, There were people saying that you had to do certain things in order to have a spiritual experience that had nothing to do with Christ. And Paul is really trying to bring some clarity to all of that. And how he does that is he exalts Jesus and he lifts Jesus up as uh, who he really is. And he's going to try to really help this church. And, you know, really, if you think um, that you're immune from uh, false teaching or being deceived, this church, I mean, here we're talking only uh, first century, only a few years after 
Christ has uh, resurrected from the grave, and these people were already being indoctrinated in false teaching. And that's why I say it's so, so important that you are grounded in the truth. So that way you can recognize false teaching uh, when it does happen. Uh, so I want you to see how Christ uh, is uh, exalted here, but then also how we are called to live. And that's going to take us into these next uh, set of verses here, verses uh, 21 through 23 that we're going to look at. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Because Christ is exalted and over all, then live the reconciled life. Because Christ is exalted and over all, then live the reconciled life. And that's kind of where Paul kind of left this in there, the last verse of uh, verse number 20, as he says that, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so Paul really pushes that as an emphasis there. And uh, he's going to tell us now that we need to be living that type of life, a reconciled life. So let's take note here of the first thing. Number one, Jesus has reconciled us. If we are going to live the reconciled life, we must first of all see how Jesus has reconciled us. Paul here reminds these believers of how God intervened in their life. And I believe this, too, is a, is a good reminder for us as believers in Jesus um, of what Jesus has done. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never been reconciled to God, then I would pray that you pay close attention to what Scripture says. Um, because it's imperative. Your, your, your eternal soul hangs in the balance uh, on what uh, the words of Scripture have to say about this. So take a look at here at verse number 21. It says, and you, you, us, right? And you, he says, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, me, all of us, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so we need to remember that Jesus has reconciled us. And that word reconciled has to do with the idea that Jesus has brought peace now. And we're going to see how uh, this all plays out here in this verse. But first of all, I want you to notice the problem that we all face is the problem of sin. All of us face that. All of us do. We all have sin. And we all have sinned. And we are alienated, look what he says here, and you who once were alienated from God, we are hostile in our mind towards God, and not only that, we do evil. This is what we were doing before we came to know Christ as our Savior. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then Scripture speaks clearly about this. And what does he say? What does the Scripture say? It says that you're alienated from God, you're hostile in your mind towards God, and not only that, but you are doing evil deeds. That's the description of you as you stand before God without Christ. Now you may be thinking, now wait a minute, 
Paul is talking to these pagan Colossians here. Uh, they may have been like that, but I, I, I'm not like that, Mike. I, I don't do those types of things. I was raised in a Christian home. I accepted Christ as a child. I never was alienated from him. Or perhaps you came to Christ when you were older, but you still would say that you were never hostile towards God. Maybe you've never been an atheist. You'd say that words like alienated, hostile, or doing evil deeds really don't describe your past. But that's not true. Because Scripture speaks clearly that all of us are in this same boat. All of us were alienated from God. All of us were doing evil deeds. And all of us were hostile in our minds towards God. And so... We must remain faithful to what Scripture teaches here. And I must say that if you feel that those words are too harsh or too mean or too mean-spirited to be called alienated or hostile in your mind towards God or that you're doing evil deeds, then I would have to say that you do not have a clear understanding of what Scripture teaches. And you're not grasping the point of your sinfulness before a holy God. You know, when I think about my own life, I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church on a regular basis. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor at a church. Uh, I heard all the Bible stories and everything. And if you would ask me and say, Mike, were you alienated from God? Were you hostile toward God? Were you doing evil deeds? I'd probably look at you and say, no, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like those murderers and those whoremongers and those idolaters and all those other people. But I had to come to a realization that it was my sin that was offensive to God. And it was before a holy God. God could not just wink at my sin. And uh, it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I believed the gospel and uh, became a follower of Jesus and became a Christian. But I would have to say that the longer that I'm a Christian, the more and more that I realize the depths of my depravity and the depths of my own sin. And I'll tell you, for those of you that, that have children or have had children, God has an interesting way of teaching us these types of things. You know, um, when I think of like uh, my child, you know, we, we love her, we give her things, we, we try to provide for her. And how does she respond to us? How, she, how, how have your children responded to you when you try to help them and love on them and care for them? And God is saying, see, see? <laughs> and he teaches us some interesting things about that. But, uh, you know, it's important for us to recall this, that Jesus has reconciled us and Jesus has saved us and he has brought peace uh, in our lives. Um, you know, part of that sinfulness that we, that we all have really is the pride, which inclines me to say, you know, I've got my own faults, but I'm not as bad as... And really what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves with others as what the Bible teaches is not wise. And so it's real important that we understand... Uh, our condition before Christ, and if you don't know Christ, this is your condition, that you're alienated, you're hostile in mind, and you're doing evil deeds. 
And so what exactly is it that brings on this alienation from God? Well, there's two things here, I think, that are at work. Number one, on God's part, God is completely holy. Um, he, is, uh, he has a settled wrath against sin, as what Scripture does teach clearly uh, in the Bible. And um, the second part, I believe, is on our part. I have within me an inborn selfishness and pride which causes me to ignore the God who created me and to pursue my own ways. We're rebellious. We want to do what we want to do. And so there's this alienation that has happened because God in his holiness cannot have fellowship with me in my sin. He cannot compromise his holiness uh, and I cannot eradicate my own sin. We can't do that, right? And so that's what makes the gospel so amazing is because Jesus himself took our sin, right? Um, we can't get rid of our sin. We can try to clean up all that we want to, but that's not going to change who we really are. Now, notice where sin begins according to this verse. Look at verse number 21. And you who were once alienated, notice this, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You see, sin begins in the mind and works its way outward. We are hostile towards God in our thinking, which results really in disobedient actions. Jesus himself taught this in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. He said that all sin begins within, right? It comes out of the heart of man. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So to deal with my sin, it's not just a matter of cleaning up my behavior, but a changing of the heart. And that's what has to take place. And only God himself can do that. Uh, it's nothing that we do ourselves. In Romans 8, 7, 8, Paul writes this, that the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so in our natural state without Christ, we are incapable of pleasing God. We may be able to clean up the outside, but we're not able to clean up our hearts. You can put on a tuxedo on a pig, but what does that pig still do? Wallow in the mud. Okay? And so we cannot change our hearts. You know, the most difficult heart problem to eradicate is the pride that says, I'm basically a good person. God will accept me because of my good deeds. God will accept me because of this. God will accept me because of that. God will accept me because of this. No, 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 no. The only way that God accepts you is on the merit of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's it. And so you have to have Christ's righteousness. And so here's the good news, is that every New Testament passage that really deals with this doctrine of reconciliation emphasizes that it was God who took the initiative. And I love that, right? Here we are, we're running away from God. 
We're running in our own course, our own way. We want to do what we want to do. We're alienated from God, hostile in our mind, and we're doing evil deeds. But who is the one that takes the initiative? God is. And what did he do? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he was condemned, right? And he took on our penalty uh, so that we could be set free uh, from sin. And so it's not really dependent on our efforts to get right with God, but his action centered on the sacrifice of his son. Here's the second thing about this, about Jesus reconciling us. Secondly, the solution to man's sinfulness really is Christ's death. God reconciled us through Christ's death. Look at verse number 22. So here we are, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We're alienated. alienated. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And so we are reconciled to God. The solution to our sinfulness is Christ's death. Now, know what God takes the initiative here. Romans 5, 10 through 11, Paul puts it this way. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. And remember, that word reconciliation has to do with making peace. Right? But it also has to do with the idea of the fact that it's a relationship. And the relationship is now in harmony. Sometimes uh, this happens many times is when talking with people about the gospel and their need um, to believe in Jesus for their salvation, sometimes some of these questions come up. And maybe you've had these questions as well. If God can do anything, why can't he just forgive my sin and move on? I mean, just let bygones be bygones, right? I mean, what's the big deal, right? Um, isn't God a God of love? I mean, shouldn't he just forgive and forget, right? Just kind of move on. Why does my sin separate me from God? Why can't God uh, just let it all go? Can't he just sweep it under the rug? Why did Christ need to die for our sins? My sins aren't that bad, or I didn't ask Jesus to die for my sins. I don't need that. Why did he do that? I've never killed anybody. I'm faithful to my wife. I work to support my family. I'm not a bad person. I don't have anything against God. Why does God require the radical solution that Christ had to die for my sins? Well, sad to say, but there are many who don't understand who God is, and that's why Paul spent all this time exalting Jesus, you know, in verses 15 through 20, about he is the image of the visible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. By him all things consist. By him he holds all things together. He is the firstborn of the dead. He spent all that time so we can get a clear picture of who Jesus is. You know, and I think when we get a clear picture of who Jesus is, then it should really give us a good clear picture of who we, we really are and how sinful that we really are, and that we really do need God's reconciliation, that we really do need God's forgiveness and his love. You know, even in a church like this, there might be some here that you still have not believed the gospel. You have not received Christ as your Savior. You're still kind of going through life, you know, kind of hoping you're going to make it. You know, like, 
God, I, didn't you see my attendance record? I mean, I was there. I was there. And unfortunately, God's going to look at you and he's going to say, depart from me, you cursed work of iniquity. I never knew you. And so you need Christ. And uh, I would say, if you're, if you're still thinking that, that, you know, I'm not that bad, I, I'm faithful to my wife, I pay my taxes, I do all this stuff, if you don't know Christ, you're not going to make it. This church cannot save you. I cannot save you. But Christ can save you, and he will save you. And so I, I encourage you if, you, if you don't know the Lord, turn to Christ and believe in the gospel. You know, we live in a very twisted, tolerant culture today. You know, gross sin is not only um, accepted, but it's flaunted. You know, and I think if we're not careful, we can sometimes look at all that stuff and we can say, I'm not as bad as those people. But in reality, we are. We just may hide it. And it's so important that we get honest with God, get honest with about our, uh, our lives uh, before God. Um, so we, we need to do that. It's important to know that if God were tolerant of sin, he would not be God. If he were to just deny uh, the fact that uh, you sinned and just say, well, you know what, I am a God of love and I'm just going to allow things to just go on, he would cease from being God because God is holy. God cannot allow uh, sin to be winked at and just tolerated. He can't do that. He cannot allow it. Let me give you a good illustration of this, for I think that would help us grasp this. Let's say a man murdered your mother in cold blood. I mean, let's just say broke into their, to her house, I mean, and murdered her. And uh, the person was apprehended and went before a court, a judge, jury, all of that. And uh, the man was found guilty, but then the judge were to just go down there, step down from his uh, pedestal and say, hey man, you're a great guy. I love you. Just don't do it again, okay? And let him go. What would your response be? You'd be outraged. You would, you would cry, this is unfair, this is not right, this, is not, this should not be tolerated. But at the same time, people think that we do these things and we live lives and yet God is just going to somehow just say, hey, you know what? <laughs> you're a great person. I, you're great. Just don't worry about it, okay? Don't worry about it. Everything's cool. Everything's cool, right? God has a demand for sin. Sin must be paid for. For the wages of sin is what? Death. And Jesus took that death. Jesus took that penalty uh, for us. So here's the question. How can God be both holy and loving? How can he uphold perfect justice and yet extend a reconciling mercy to sinners? The answer is, is what Paul states here in verse 22. Look at it again. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You see, God is able to do this through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It's nothing we do. That's what makes the gospel so awesome. It's nothing that we do. We don't sit around and try to get cleaned up for God. God looks at us and says, man, you're a pig in a tuxedo. You're wallowing in the mud. 
I want to change that. I want to change you. And he will change us. And it's all through his son, Jesus. And he accomplishes that. And so Jesus Christ took the death that we so rightfully deserve. Jesus Christ took the punishment that we so rightfully deserve. Jesus Christ took on himself the wrath of God that we so rightfully deserve. And he paid the penalty for our sins. Hebrews 9.22 states this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Being God in human flesh, Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath for us by paying the penalty for all who have faith in Jesus. Listen to what Paul states as this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God took our sin and put it on Christ, who was without sin, and then he took Christ's perfect righteousness and put it on us. He is both, as what Romans 3.26 says, he's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the basis of reconciliation really is judicial. Jesus paid the just penalty of God's wrath against our sin. And so now we are able to have peace with God. And so this is something that we are to recall because that's exactly what Paul was doing here. He's saying, and you, you were once this. Remember this. Remember what Jesus has done for you in the fact that he has changed you and he has demonstrated his love towards you is what Romans 5, 8 says. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died us and so now we can enjoy God's love we can enjoy his reconciliation we can enjoy knowing that we have been changed you know I think one of the most beautiful pictures of reconciliation is what uh, Jesus gives us there in the gospel of Luke remember uh, where he talks about the uh, the son that went and and left his father took his inheritance give me what you owe me I want it now right and he goes and he spends it on riotous living, right? He's over there living it up. And he finally comes to himself after wallowing in the, in, with the pigs, eating the corn husk that the pigs are eating. And he's like, hey, my father has so much more than this. I'm sure if I could just go back, he would at least welcome me as a servant. He changes his mind. He repents. And what was the father doing? Waiting waiting for his son to return. And can I tell you, that's exactly what God is doing. He is waiting for us to repent and believe. He's waiting. He's wanting us to come to him. And that's such a beautiful picture of this reconciliation that God is wanting to have reconciliation. God is wanting, he's taking the initiative and he's waiting to welcome us back home uh, into his arms. And so we need to have reconciliation. We need to uh, be reconciled. And so to be reconciled to God, you first got to see that you're alienated from him, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. And even if outwardly you're a good person, your heart is exactly as what Jesus said it is. And you've got to see that God provides everything necessary for your reconciliation. Now notice something really awesome about our reconciliation that God accomplishes in our lives, okay? Because we are reconciled, okay, and this is, this is really what just makes the gospel, I mean, just kind of over the top here, right? 
Look at verse 22 again. So he's reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to what? To present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Man, that is awesome. Here we are, sinners in need of God's grace, in need of his mercy. We can't change our hearts. We're alienated before him. We're, we're hostile in our mind and we're doing evil deeds. God changes us. He saves us. And now what he does is he now presents us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so God reconciles us in order to present us before him. And I love that because I believe that God's aim on judgment day is really that we would stand before him perfectly righteous. Jude uh, 24 states it this way, he is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. That's awesome. Not shame, but great joy. You know, I would, I would have to say it's really a rare thing to know someone whom you would describe as blameless and beyond reproach. And when we look at people, we're only seeing the outward behavior. But what is God doing on the inside? He's changing us. He's transforming us as we yield our lives more and more to the gospel. You know what this is called? You ready? Here's the big word. Okay? Progressive sanctification. Okay? And so what God has done is he has saved us from the penalty of our sin. Okay? God has saved us. And now what he is doing in progressive sanctification, as we yield to the gospel, as we yield to the working of the Spirit of God in our life, as we put off the old man and putting on the new man, he is saving us from the power of sin, because we can say no to sin now. And then later on, when Jesus returns, we will then finally be totally, completely, 100% saved from the very presence of sin, because we will be given a new body fashioned like his own, and without sin. And we will be able to be presented before him spotless and blameless with what? Great joy. And this is what God is doing in our lives. And this is what reconciliation is all about. And so when we think about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, this should give us a great opportunity to recall about that we have been reconciled. And if you haven't been reconciled, you need to be reconciled before God. Here's the second thing and last thing. Live out your reconciliation. And so since we have been reconciled, we have an obligation now. And what is that obligation? To live out that reconciliation. What does that look like? Two things here, we're done. Number one, we need to continue in the faith. Look at verse number 23 is what he says here. If indeed you continue in the faith, what does that mean? How do we do that? Continuing in the faith means being grounded and steadily growing. Notice what Paul says here in what? In the hope of the gospel. This is why I say the gospel is so important. So important that you keep the gospel before you. Always, always, always. Okay? You're growing in the gospel. You're growing in who Jesus is. You're growing in what Jesus has done for you. It's like, a, it's like a diamond. It has so many facets. And the more that you look at it, the more you experience about what Christ has done for you. 
You can't ever uh, plummet the depths of it. It's more and more and more, and you're growing in that more and more and more. And so we need to continue in the faith. Now, when Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith here, this is really a warning. And it's a warning, <laughs> really, to warn, to say, look, if you do not continue in the faith, then that shows that you never were part of the faith. Not that you've lost your salvation, but that you never were part of that faith. Okay? And so that's why he's saying you need to continue in it, because by continuing it, it does show that you are a true believer in Jesus and that you have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. And remember, really, what these Christians were facing. They were facing all these pressures from false teachers in the church. And I believe Paul was very confident in saying, they're going to continue. Remember what he said in Philippians 1.6? For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the test of genuine faith is that it perseveres by holding to the gospel. It continues in the faith it continues in the gospel it does not leave that and so if there is an implicit warning here and then if that says it's your responsibility to remain in the faith and so it's important that we remember that now notice the responsibility what we have with this okay you continue in the faith notice stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And so we need to continue in that. The hope of the gospel is our foundation. If any of us in here were ever going to build anything, or if you, well, going to have a house built, right? One of the things you want to make sure is that you have a good foundation, right? I mean, you don't want them going over there and be like, well, I think we dug down six inches. I think that's pretty good for a foundation, Right? It's all right. You know, some of, that, some of that, uh, that earth down there, it's really hard, so it's good to just put it right here on this uh, soft sand, right? I mean, what are we building here, a chicken coop? If we're going to build a, a giant skyscraper, I mean, they go down deep to make sure that that foundation is solid. Now, think about this. Paul later on tells the Colossians, he tells them, he says, I don't want you to be carried about with every wind of doctrine. How do we make sure that we're going to continue in the faith strong and steady? We have to have a deep foundation, and it's built upon Jesus Christ and the gospel. And we continue on that, and we hold fast onto that, not wavering, not shifting from that. And it's so important that uh, we do that. So the foundation for the Christian faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to be building upon that. Can I ask you a question? Are you clear on the gospel, what it is? Can you articulate it to somebody? If I were to ask you, say, I want you to take just 60 seconds to the person sitting next to you, could you explain and articulate what the gospel is to them? If not, you need to really hone in on that and understand what you believe and why you believe it. Are you clear on, on certain doctrines that are in the Word of God? Could you show people from Scripture and say, 
This is what I believe about who Jesus is. This is what I believe what God is. This is what I believe about the Bible, that it's inerrant, that, that we can trust it. Can you do that? If not, you need to bulk up. You need to dig down deep and get into that. And I think this is something that, like, even for us elders, right, the elders of this church, maybe this is something that we should be kind of thinking about. How can we put in the hands of the people here, because that's what we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to be equipping you for the work of the ministry. So how are we training you? How are we helping you, right? How are we helping you grow in your faith in that? And so it's important that we live out this reconciliation. We do that by continuing in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Here's the last thing. Be a minister of the gospel to everyone. Look what Paul says here. He says, we continue in that gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul says, listen, he says, this gospel is so powerful. It's being proclaimed everywhere. He says it's been proclaimed over all creation. That's what God is doing, right? Remember the verses before? He's re reconciling all things unto himself. And so God is at work in all of this, and he says, it has affected even you, Right? Here's Epaphras, who was a faithful minister among them, proclaiming the gospel to them. And Paul says, I'm even made a minister. Now, who is he talking to here again? He's not talking to the, uh, the clergy of the church. He's talking to the farmers. He's talking to the auto mechanics. He's talking to the, uh, the ladies that maybe worked from home. Right? He's talking to them saying, listen, the gospel has such had an effect on our lives that we have been made ministers of the gospel. Now, don't let that word minister confuse you. I think uh, the church has done a great disservice of sanitizing words like this and making it as almost seem like it's just some holy relic, okay? The word minister means servant, and that's what we are. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are a servant of Christ. You are a minister of of Christ. And so this ministry is not just for the elite. It's not just for the select few. It's not just for those who've went to Bible college. It's not just for those who've been called to serve in a church. He says it's for all of us. All of us are ministers of the gospel. We're servants of Christ and servants of the gospel. And so He's called us to do this. He's called us to be a part of this and to live out this reconciliation. You know what that means? That means that you're in trench warfare. That means you're getting down and it's dirty and it's grungy and it's hard and it's difficult. It means that the person that you maybe work with comes to you and they tell you about a woe that's going on in their life and you engage with them and you minister to them. That means the church family here as we meet together and God has placed an individual on your heart, maybe in this church family, that you know they're going through some difficult and God wants you to minister to them. You're not looking around and saying, boy, I really hope somebody ministers to that person. God has called you to minister to them. Okay? He's called all of us to minister and to be servants together. And so we live out this reconciliation in that. And so there are different ways I think we can really apply all of this, depending on your situation. If you've never been reconciled, you need to trust Christ's sacrifice on the cross. 
If you're not grounded in the faith, I believe you need to uh, really get busy with that and start studying the Word, start applying the Word. Maybe even just take our, uh, our church doctrinal statement and go through that. Look up the verses, say, okay, what does it say about this? All right, start going through it. Know what you believe and why you believe it, okay? Start reading through the Bible if you're not doing that, okay? I think that would be very helpful to you. But let's have a word of prayer together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.